0: Mayo, I feel like a true British man today or all week. Do you know? Do you know why? Um, elaborate. Elaborate. So I have like this sore throat thing going on. So I've been drinking a lot of a lot of tea, and I know that that's like you guys wake up and just start pouring tea. Down I thought your throat. you were going to
1: say British people get sore throats a lot. I was like, oh, <laughs> you drink tea. About that one? You drink tea. Tea, tea. Yeah, like, but you're you're not a British person do you drink tea like every day of the year, like not just that's not fair. just because you got. A, not just because you got a sore throat. Tea's the tea's the way of life.
0: I'm sure British people don't just go to Starbucks and get tea either. You probably make it in your backyard or whatever.
1: I think a lot of people do get it at like shops and stuff. Do you drink tea or coffee or? Oh, I have, I do Yeah, I have tea tea tea. tea. I've I'm actually uh, i I'm, I'm on probably on the light end. I have tea in the morning with like my breakfast, and then tea in the evening after like after dinner, you know, like nine eight nine o'clock ish. But eight nine o'clock at have, night. Yeah, at night. yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: doesn't the caffeine like get to you
1: Mm, tea doesn't have that much in it really see i don't know yeah it's a lot better than coffee in that way
0: it just feels nice on my throat but
1: yeah it's it's a lot better than coffee but like a lot of people that i know will have tea like every two hours or whatever you know what i mean like which i guess is how some people drink coffee as well like they have it twice a day or whatever um so i think i'm on the the lighter end of the spectrum but i do basically have it every single day
0: and for that reason we were saying before we started recording that this might be a little bit of a a mayo heavy episode so my voice doesn't completely yeah, let, let die that chance
1: rest is croaky throat
0: but anyway to get started we have the vision pro developer kits are now available so this is what apple announced at wwdc and now developers can go and apply and they don't specifically say when these developer kits will actually start shipping but i think the implication is it's pretty soon
1: yeah the because also they announced the um like workshop things where you can go yeah. to a location and those and are like next week apps. yeah that starts literally next week like the first one's in on apple park on monday i think um and again i wouldn't expect like any crazy news to come out of that or anything because a everyone's going to be nda'd to the walls and down, and b they're not really going to show people anything that you can't really see on like the um the simulator or what they've shown in june right it'll be like a place mm-hmm. where you can run your code you can debug you can wear the headset and get some you know Feel what, feel what it's like to wear or whatever but these things aren't a uh, they're not a product demo right they they have a utility they have a utilitarian purpose and that's what they're for and they've done these kind of workshop things um to varying degrees for so basically all of the product launches that i can remember the apple watch had one where they would invite people mm-hmm. in to try software on the watch the ipad had one for sure with the apple tv they just gave everybody a apple tv for one dollar that <laughs> was like the best that was the best developer I forgot ever. about that you one yeah you literally got free Apple TV for a dollar and uh, mine's still in use at my mum's house
0: and I think all the developers took that
1: and did make you, yeah a lot of people a lot of developers took that free one and then didn't do anything with it um, but they uh, hey they Apple can afford it um, but yeah and then the developer for Apple Silicon uh, the Apple Silicon transition you could buy or you could loan the developer transition kit for like $500 mm. or whatever um, which is like that modified Mac mini. But they also had in-person workshops they were running as well. Um, that, that one was the only time when it was less, I think, a lot more on the download because that was still like peak COVID era. So like oh, yeah. if you were a really big developer, you'd get invited in and there'd be all these like safety precautions stuff. But they still did it. And if it wasn't like COVID time, they would have had like more open access workshops with engineers and stuff. And it's a great use of their developer center, um, you know, Oh yeah, facility for lack of a better word at apple park it's a great space for them to be able to do that kind of stuff um and they'll with this one this this is probably a one of the most open they've had in terms of the workshops kind of things because they're literally inviting people to come and do it and if you have obviously they're going to prioritize based on availability but if you have a genuine interest in making vision os software i think they're going to let you in at some point it's not a exclusive club kind of thing it's not like if you're a you know, got, an, got a brand relationship with the App Store that they're another everyone else has shut out. I think they're pretty open to indies and normal people. They just go at, like, indies and bigger companies, but they will obviously just, you know, do the initial rounds of checks to make sure you're actually not just wasting their time. Um, and that's the same thing with the developer kits that they'll send to your door. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think they have, you know, thousands of of units um which is a lot but it's also not a lot when you you know you have 10 million registered developers so they have to be selected to some degree and of course the name brands will be prioritized uh but if you're an indie i think you do have a decent shot of actually getting getting hands-on with the equipment as long as you can justify a decent reason and apple gets the sense that you're actually going to use it and you're not just messing around and want to see something early um whereas i think with the apple tv the apple tv it was more like it's just a dollar right we can mm-hmm. we can afford to give you a 100 dollar box 2 months before this is obviously much more locked down which is also reflected in the terms of service yeah. agreement that if you try and apply for the transition kit for not for the transition kit for the vision pro developer kit it says like you have to keep it in a private secure workspace accessible only by you you know with no light and uh, it must be chained to the wall and all these like requirements <laughs> which is quite funny
0: when it's um, not in use turn it off and put it in its locked pelican case in a locked space that only you have access to yeah uh,
1: they write that stuff i don't know how how strictly they actually enforce that but uh they they put it in the language just in case you do something really out there so they can then pin you to a wall legally if they need to um but i think they're less they're less um you know in real life they they're they're not that strict that's just lawyer speak you know
0: and even on the shortest end of the timeline too so vision pro is early 2024 and it's what july so that's like mm-hmm. they have six months to do these labs and send out developer kits so like you said i think there's a good shot that a lot of people who can prove that they need it will get either a session or a kit
1: yeah at some point maybe not in the first right, batch exactly. like right now but you know by christmas or whatever you'll be able to get one if you really want if you really really want one did um, you
0: apply for one
1: no i don't have any intent at the moment to make vision pro software so there's i'd just be wasting a slot to be honest um it's, obviously, if somebody wants to give me one to try, i love it, but uh, there's no point in me getting developer kit at the moment. Um, I don't have any plans for Vision software, which kind of rolls into a narrative that's been kind of relatedly going around the last mm-hmm. week or so. It's like, how vibrant is the App Store ecosystem really going to be for the Vision Pro? Um, you know, obviously, the iPhone was propelled into the stratosphere based on the success of the App Store, and that was like a real gold, gold rush moment. The iPad 2 especially in the earlier days uh, had that similar feel when they launched the iPad app, the iPad with the App Store and there was all you know all that software at, at the beginning with all those different games and different experiences and stuff and when you buy an iPad you'd be almost guaranteed to buy some $5 apps and stuff at the time and oh, you know as the iPad matured and the initial sales hype wore off a bit that did die down mm-hmm. um, and it got pretty pretty bad for a while it's it's it's, i'd say it's recovered a bit in recent years but you know it's not it's not as vibrant as the iphone by any stretch the iphone's like you know the iphone's always going to be hard to compare against because it's so much bigger than everything else Um, and then you had like what what other stuff they launched the apple tv app store a complete failure (laughs) the apple watch app store uh, Mm. i think it was overhyped by apple to be fair like they pushed it as a oh this is going to be the next iphone app store and it never really caught on. Like, But if you actually do look at the watch app store, you know, apps that you expect to be there like for sports and stuff like fitness apps, most companies that do fitness apps on the iPhone do fitness apps for the watch and stuff like workout apps and things. Um, the more esoteric use cases that Apple tried to push uh, when the watch was unveiled, they never really came through because like, the watch, the problem with the watch app store from a developer's standpoint is monetization. Like, mm-hmm. There's no real incentive to make a watch app because you can't really charge money for it um so it's always just like an accessory to the phone app um and most people don't use the apps very much in general so you have to spend all that development time when a lot of time you're never actually gonna you know enjoy it but if you look at like music apps and podcast apps and worker apps like the main use case of the watch they're all supported by apps so i don't think it's like as dire as some people say but it's obviously it's just a different it's the platform itself does not um invite a lot of third-party contributions i would say
0: well, yeah, remember you know, when Apple yeah. had to disclose the number of monthly active App Store users for in Europe? And the mm, watchOS OS And it was like, was like less
1: than a million. Under a million, yeah. Yeah. And, then iOS, and the iPhone was over a hundred million. Yeah. yeah. It's just like the, the scales are, are, are insane. Apparently,
0: according to these numbers, the tvOS has above one million and watchOS is under a million, which...
1: I don't know about that, but... Yeah, I'm not sure not quite sure like i feel like the watch is way more popular than the tv it depends how they count like user of the app store on the, yeah. the device i don't know um because like the the tv the apple tv is more prone to like auto updating and so i guess everybody who does get an apple tv has to go to the app store to download like netflix or whatever so like maybe there's like some inflation there and then if you like took out that kind of thing it would fall off a cliff but anyway my point is where does the Vision Pro land on that spectrum? Is it mm-hmm. like the Apple TV App Store, the the Watch App Store, or is it like the iPhone App Store? And I think it's probably going to be closer to the Apple TV App Store in that the sense that things that really make sense for augmented reality virtual reality environments will probably show up on the Vision Pro platform relatively soon, just like, you know, all the video streaming apps turned up in the TVOS. But anything Mm -hmm. beyond that and in terms of like a burgeoning, you know, wide vitality to an ecosystem is probably not going to happen. Not because it's not a platform that invites it, because it's way more, um, it's way more, uh, the propensity to make third-party experiences is way closer to an iPhone than it is to the Apple Watch for the Vision Pro. The issue with the Vision Pro is market size. And Mm -hmm. it's just going to be so small, like the return on investment is going to be so hard for most people to argue for uh just because of the amount it's a three and a half grand thing they're only going to apple's you know signaled via production room and stuff they're only going to sell like three hundred thousand tops uh in in one year like that just isn't enough to sustain ecosystems of, of app development when also the other layer here is the app development process is way more complicated for the vision pro to do it properly than it is to make like an ipad app when you already had an iphone app because you know, the it's a two d you on a from going from iPhone to iPad, it's just an expansion of a two D canvas, mm-hmm. right? If you're doing Vision Pro stuff and doing it properly, there's way more complexity in terms of three D modelling and animation and dynamic interaction. Uh that just makes it way a much higher barrier in terms of resource, in terms of time, in terms of cost. So I don't think it's really gonna play out. Um that well you know in the long-term future of of vision os it probably will be pretty good but the vision pro isn't going to be i think i think like the watch the first generation vision pro uh, will be a mostly first-party experience device
0: what do you think about vision pro apps in terms of like pricing because that's another narrative i've seen for people who are trying to convince developers to consider making apps is that maybe Whereas like the iPhone drove down the general price of software, then kind of pivoted to subscriptions. There's a world in which you know, with like you said, the more complex development process for Vision Pro, that we go back to higher priced software
1: that doesn't well, like, need to sell us sp- stuff,
0: and or just higher priced subscriptions.
1: Yeah, it's it's all going to be subscription based. I think that's yeah. the only like logistical thing that makes sense these days for companies. Um, and Apple also gives you a discount as a developer if you do subscriptions, right? Because after the first year, it, it halves to 15% commission, which you can't get. Like you, If you if you only have a paid-up-front app, it doesn't matter how many you sell, you're still paying 30% commission all the time. So they incentivize subscriptions as well. Um, and if you have a more complicated app for Vision Pro, then you can make your money back on a subscription that's maybe slightly more expensive. I think what's mostly going to happen, though, is Vision Pro software will be like it won't be an additional purchase they'll just roll it into the subscription you have for your other platforms really you think so uh, yeah like I, I it's it's really hard like maybe if you're in like one of those specific enterprise environments they were showing you like when they had that machine in that 3d you know like that 3d yeah. recreation of that like factory machine like there's obviously a case where you could sell like a separate thing but like let's say you're disney plus right And, you know, Disney Plus is going to be on Vision Pro on day one as pledged at June. But what they mean by that is just like the iPad app with Mm -hmm. some minor modifications, maybe with some ornaments around the side for some prettier toolbars and stuff. But then I don't think that, like, they can do that. And there we go. They, you know, they satisfied their agreement with Apple or whatever. But they're not going to charge you extra for it. And then the next barrier up to charge you extra is to make these, like, super immersive 3D, you know, Augment your reality experiences and that bar i just don't think they're going to get to because the market's too small so that's why i think it will probably land in most apps that do come on vision pro will just be like oh you get you know you pay your ten dollar a month subscription to use this app on the phone mm-hmm. and the mac well now you can do it on vision pro as well that's how i kind of see it going as a function of the market that is the vision pro you know when there's cheaper vision pro hardware and time and they sell and they're selling millions a year then the the market dynamics change and you can You know, you can go more down. You can go different places and stuff.
0: One thing I assume Apple will really lean into is that you can just run iPad apps on Vision Pro. So whenever it launches, they can say we have X number of million apps available when in reality, only a tiny percentage of that will actually be optimized for for Vision Pro and Vision OS. But I mean, that's what, like you said, that's what's going to let Disney Plus probably be there on day one. Although, and then Bloomberg, Mark Gurman, in his newsletter, didn't he say Netflix isn't exploring... Is not exploring like anything to do with Vision Pro right now.
1: I think he said they're going to do the iPad. Did he? Let the okay. IPad app run. Yeah. They, it, but he. I think his uh, his take was ba- Well, from his, what his understanding was, was that they aren't investing in Vision Pro specifically. Okay. So they'll you know they'll check they'll make the app work in terms of like function with the basics of iPad compatibility and that's about it. And um, and and that's and Netflix is a what I would say core experience application for vision pro because mm-hmm. it's multimedia right it's watching a video on a giant screen it's not clear to me though if you are in the ipad compatibility mode on vision os whether you can even do the thing where you can like maximize the video to a hundred foot wide screen like i'm not sure if you have to like have a customized mi- media player for that yeah. work or whether the ipad apps will just be able to do that out of the box that's not i haven't worked that out yet
0: that'll be a big a big thing to find out too because the appeal of the multimedia apps is those environments like watching in the theater watching on mount hood or whatever
1: yeah because like obviously the environment's backdrops can be enabled from wherever you are mm-hmm. right and you can just turn the digital crown to like make them take up more space or less space but the thing that i'm specifically referencing is the thing where the video like maximizes to fill oh, you know the yeah. quite 100 foot size mm-hmm. um versus it just being an iPad window flowing in front of you. So, like, you can be in Mount Hood, but does Netflix still look like a 10-inch by ten window or does it zoom out like they showed for, obviously, like the Apple TV app, for instance?
0: Then also we had Vision OS Beta 2. So this is, what, like a a month after Beta 1 was released, but I guess they are waiting for these developer kits and developer sessions to start. And Mayo, you pointed out a change to the scroll bar design, which is now more, more like watchOS than before when it was more iPad iOS kind of designed.
1: Yeah, so you can see if you download the Vision OS SDK and you run the simulator on the Mac, you can kind of see like the minor UI changes they're making at the moment and one of the things is the scroll bar layout um on Vision OS version 1, which is what they demoed in June, the scroll bars would look like what you expect on like an iPad or a Mac where it's, you know, the thing that disappears but it takes up like the percentage of the total viewport and you can scroll up and down and it's like a big thing what they've changed to in beta 2 is a design where it's always just a small indicator like what happens with the apple watch where the scroll bar is always the height of the crown it's like in this case now the scroll bar is just always this fixed height and i think you can still scroll it on that little bar but it it probably looks better if you're actually in the real world because you know it, it on an ipad or a phone the scroll bar makes sense for it to be as big as the proportion of the content is because then you can just grab it with your finger and drag it up and down whereas with vision os the scrolling is meant is not going to be a direct interaction or it's not meant to be right like mm-hmm. you sit back and you scroll with the gesture so in that case you don't want your eyes having to dart up and down a massive window in front of you you can just see the little indicator like the apple watch version um but that was the only uh significant ui change that i really there were some other little changes but like that was the only thing that really popped out to me on the beta 2 SDK. And I'm sure we'll see a bit more of that as Apple keeps iterating through the product's release again in quote early 2024. Then also
0: another thrilling new beta for iOS 17. So this is beta (laughs) 4. And just like beta 2, beta 3, not much here. And one of the changes is basically the same thing they've been iterating on this whole time, which is that little pop-up in the messages app now where you have the list of different iMessage apps that you can choose, Apple Cash, Find My Location, all that stuff. Basically, it's been kind of completely redesigned in terms of the icons to look more like watchOS, where it's circular icons, and the change that they introduced in Beta 3, where the Photos icon would show like a preview of your most recent photo. Now it's just the normal circular Photos app icon. I think this change is pretty good. It kind of addresses the problem where... All of those icons just kind of... And
1: that whole interface
0: just kind of felt super, super out of place.
1: Yeah, like they didn't feel in line with the rest of iOS design. And you would open that screen looking for the photos icon, as in the same app icon you see on your home screen. And it would be some like weird, you know, Mm -hmm. weird aesthetic thing that you've never seen before in your entire life apart from this one messages window so now they've heard that feedback obviously and now it's much more regular and like you say they're all circular icons they all basically just look like what you'd expect them to in terms of they look like the app except they are cropped to a circle um so yeah it makes it fit in a lot better
0: someone described the old interface as looking like like facebook messenger or something Mm -hmm. and that once they said that i was like yep that's what it reminds me of so i'm glad that they they changed it And that's like the one thing they've kind of been iterating on every beta. Because otherwise, there's not much else in beta four. There's, we talked, I think, last week about some of the bugs with the keyboard and text fields disappearing. And that seems to be better in beta four, at least for me and for you too. Yeah,
1: the keyboard definitely feels better. Yeah. Like just in terms of the windows. But like the bug used to be where like the keyboard would be up, but the app hadn't been like told about it. So Mm -hmm. it'd be like cut off. I haven't seen that happen since I'm dating to beta four, which is nice. Oh like and some people seeing like the keyboard being invisible and stuff that seems to have gone away. Um has the like battery life been for you and stuff? For me
0: it's been worse and it's, the phone seems to be running hotter. I don't know. I've seen other people talk about this who are saying that it's basically a step back in terms of that kind of optimization. And like our friend Parker Ordolani, he was blowing me up on iMessage yesterday complaining that the new beta feels super laggy and stuttery. Which that's probably a side effect just of it running hotter and yeah. that optimization not being there, but it's weird for three to four to take a step back for at least. Yeah, some I,
1: people. I wouldn't. Yeah, mine seems about the same as beta three in that regard. Um, doesn't it doesn't seem to be running hotter um, for me, but obviously, you know, there's all these different multi factors of situations that cause bugs or whatever. I think overall, it's it's definitely heading in the right direction mm-hmm. um, and should be in good shape. The keyboard. Reach what-
0: the keyboard thing was the most annoying. The most yeah. annoying bug. So now that that's fixed, it's it's quite a bit better.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any there's any panic for the sh- shipping release to be good. You know, no. by the time we get to like beta eight, beta nine in September, so they're and, on, they're on pace.
0: And this is the developer beta. So what a new public beta with these changes next week, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's generally what happens, or even today. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> yeah, or, or today they, after, Yeah, right after they, we finish recording. They vary between like up to a week, I'd say. But then as the betas go on, they seem to get even more in lockstep. So like by the end the public betas come out like the day after or whatever um, as they get in line but yeah not um we're on we're on pace we're on pace again the iOS 17 beta season isn't the most fun one we've ever had because there isn't too much to like check in on in terms of stuff that's constantly changing and, re- and being responding to feedback because most stuff is just in a pretty good shape from the beginning um so yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll ride it out but I, I, like it's less interesting from us from a conversation perspective yeah. but in terms of Apple's product strategy it's you know you can't complain it's, it's a good thing that there's some there's nothing really controversial that they've done that people are like objecting to
0: and we made fun of this a couple weeks ago so we should just say iOS 16.6 finally out of beta and now available so if you and nobody cared you, nobody cared but if you <laughs> aren't running iOS 17 I guess this has some security fixes so should probably get
1: on that Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Masterclass. So I generally cook the same meals, chicken, spaghetti, that kind of thing. But I figured why not try something different and try to get better at cooking for a change. So now I'm learning how to make pasta dough and make ravioli from scratch with instructions from renowned chef Alice Waters. I'm not 100% confident at it yet, but the learning and sense of accomplishment is so so satisfying. I'm getting there. And how exactly? Well, using Alice Walter's home cooking lessons on MasterClass. Check them out at masterclass.com/95mac. MasterClass has some amazing videos. Food is just one of the categories they have. I mean, Where else can you find 30 lessons on filmmaking from Martin Scorsese? I was watching that actually on the Apple TV app and you can hear Scorsese himself talk about the movie making process and how he expanded his understanding over time. I love learning about all those details and it really makes me appreciate the art of film even more. And with Masterclass, you too can learn from the best to become your best. Anytime, anywhere, at your own pace from just $10 a month you get unlimited access to every instructor thousands of online lessons exclusive content and insights and much more and I mentioned filmmaking and food but there's so many topics to dive into you have for instance Disney CEO Bob Iger talking about business strategy you've got chefs like Alice Waters and Gordon Ramsay on how to cook incredible food there's so much variety and something for everyone. With over 180 classes to choose from, you can always be learning something new from top class instructors. Gain new skills in as little as 10 minutes with the Masterclass app available on your phone, computer, tablet, smart TV, and there's even an audio only mode, so you can listen on the go. Get unlimited access to every class. And right now, as a happy hour listener, you can get fifteen percent off when you go to masterclass.com ninety-five Mac. That's masterclass.com slash 9to5mac for 15% off an annual membership. One more time, masterclass.com slash 9to5mac. Thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring the show. So it's been, what, like three weeks since Threads
0: with Meta's new social network thingy launched. And I'm curious, Mayo, how how has your use like evolved and changed following that initial hype and then actually trying to use it on a daily basis over the past three weeks.
1: Yeah, you can definitely feel that the initial rush has eased off a bit, mm-hmm. which is perfectly understandable. There's been some headlines where it's like these analytics companies are like, engagement with threads is down 80% <laughs> since the launch. It's like, of course, like the launch wasn't crazy popular for them and it like spiraled out of control to a point that was never going to be able to sustain. Um, but even in its now more like steady state form, it's clearly people are still coming back right so it, it's again they have an upward journey and you know mark zuckerberg even like post about this is like you know we had a crazy launch and now we have to keep people and you know iterate and, and move forward and i facebook were like didn't expect it to be as popular as it was out the gate it kind of beat everybody's expectations mm-hmm. uh, and that has some of that has obviously died away but even in its current state it's still way more popular than like any other twitter replacement attempt we've had in the last two years right like it's super popular it seems like a lot of the brands are still interacting there quite a fair bit oh yeah and they haven't just disappeared after the initial you know hype train about it so that's a that's a bonus compared to something like macedon right um personally i'm checking in on it a few times a day or whatever and you know interacting and stuff um the following feed they have now added which is nice um which is one of my biggest feature requests right because the mm-hmm. algorithmic feed where content would change so much when you refresh like you get a completely different timeline every single time with plenty of posts from people that I have no interest in whatsoever or and even on like you know explicit content and all sorts yeah. of random stuff that you weren't that I wasn't had any care for the following feed is makes it much more sane in terms of like a more like Twitter direct replacement however it is pretty buggy and they've only just yeah. started rolling out so maybe they'll fix it but like it like always switches back to the feed and it like messes around and you know they've got they've got some ways to go like they've they, they've quote-unquote checked the box but it obviously needs some refinement
0: and the way you access the following feed it's it's a little bit hidden like how you can so you can tap on the home button in the bottom the bottom navigation bar or t- tap on the The logo at the top of the feed, you know, that's the refresh animation. I think this is probably their way of saying like most people shouldn't or don't need to use the following feed and the algorithmic feed is best. But they added this following feed kind of for the power users like us. My use has definitely gone down. But I think the biggest reason for that is just that there's no way to use it on the web or on your Mac because I'll go a whole day of like working on my Mac and then get on my iPhone and say, oh, I haven't checked threads all day. And that's just because I don't want to pick up my iPhone throughout the day and get distracted on Threads, then end up on TikTok, then end up doing X, Y, and Z. And the the lack of a Mac app is something a lot of people have complained about, especially when theoretically Meta could have just let us run the iPhone version of Threads on the Mac, assuming you have an Apple Silicon Mac. But in a response on Threads this week, one of the engineers kind of talked about how they tried this, and it was super buggy, and that they could have worked to fix it, but it just wasn't worth their time when they had more important things to do for the iPhone experience. And I guess that makes sense. And I understand why a company like Meta has to have a higher standard for that than other developers who have more forgiving power users who will just accept the buggy app as it is just to have something on the Mac. But the last thing Meta wants is for every Threads user to see that, oh, there's a Mac app now, let me go download it, and then to be frustrated with the experience and just end up back on twitter.com or in the twitter app on their mac
1: yeah i mean twitter is still where i spend most of my time just because of TweetDeck, right so yeah like tweet always open and part of that's you know social fun and part of that's actually just work right because mm-hmm. having the, the columns with apple news you know related search teams open is really useful throughout the day um that's when you provide your customer
0: support to people complaining about apple tv because you have your yeah, apple tv yeah, search yeah, exactly. column and
1: Hey, it keeps it keeps me abreast of what's going on. You know? That's true. It's, it's, it's useful.
0: It's led to some posts.
1: Um, it has led to some posts. Yeah. The so yeah, like as long as it never has a Mac app, you'll never be able to do that. And I don't. But I don't think they're even aiming for that kind of thing. Like a TweetDeck version of no. Threads isn't really like the same deal. they they're just far less interested in the real time news aspect, right? Um, which is fine, and people enjoy it. But it's never fully gonna replace Twitter for me in that way.
0: Adam Ozari did say this week that there's a web version that's already in the works, which that'd be a good compromise, especially with on macOS Sonoma, how you can save websites to your dock and make them act like a dedicated app on your Mac. That would be a good compromise, but like, he didn't really share a timetable on that. And you have to assume it's pretty far down their list of priorities.
1: Well, let me ask you, right? Because how much are you looking at threads compared to instagram because Instagram's the same deal with no mac app and you know it has technically has a website but it's not really the same thing well right
0: now i'd say i'm looking at threads a little bit more than instagram just because i feel like people are posting more on threads like when someone posts something to their feed on instagram there's like a higher bar for that you know like mm. the instagram posts are usually like super well crafted and they're not just running like right off the top of your head thoughts so usually it's like opening Instagram and maybe watching a few stories, but then write to threads to to read what other people are saying. Because the text based aspect of it is what I prefer compared to compared to Instagram and compared to stories.
1: Yeah, it's definitely more stream of consciousness, right? Whereas Instagram's more people take their time over it or whatever and try and make themselves look in their best light and, you know, set up pictures or whatever. Um whereas threads you're more likely just to like wake up and post something random and <laughs> move on right yeah that's just that which is like the the fun part of twitter as yeah well, exactly right? so it's kind of nice that some of that dna has been brought across um so yeah i think it's doing okay like obviously it's got a ways to go uh but in terms of twitter alternatives it's definitely posing a strong threat
0: has threads is threads making you consider setting up like an actual instagram account
1: not yet not yet okay don't really see the need
0: I don't really want to go too in-depth on this, but we should acknowledge that Twitter is no longer a thing. It's now, <laughs> it's now X. So from henceforth, we will refer, Yeah, Threads
1: officially killed Twitter. Yeah.
0: Thr- when you published that, that you published the story about that and you your headline was like, Elon Musk announces death of, of Twitter or whatever. And I saw yeah. the headline out of the corner of my eye because you posted it before I was awake. Mm-hmm. So I was like half asleep, saw it on my phone and I read it as elon musk announces death and i was like wait what what's happening and I was like, oh it's like oh, twitter's dead it's now yeah, death of the X. twitter
1: bird indeed yeah i did like my um my threads poster i was like if twitter is your girlfriend then oh well, if yeah. threads is your girlfriend and twitter is your ex I was like, that, was
0: that was very good that was very good
1: i mean the, the name change of twitter is just like elon being, elon being elon in the in the in the most way possible it's like I love how he's I love how like a couple of weeks ago it was like we have no more money to spend on frivolous activities. We have to focus <laughs> on the core business. And then two weeks later it's like, well, we can't afford to rebrand the entire company with a brand new logo and get, throw away all the goodwill of and recognition of the Twitter the Twitter bird logo.
0: My theory uh-huh. on this is that so he started he's mentioned like his idea of making Twitter a super app or whatever with payments and mm-hmm. video and podcasts and all of that. But then I think it was Saturday night at like 1am 2am where he just went on a rampage on twitter like this is now x the twitter brain is dead here's everything we're gonna do my theory on it is that he was probably under the influence of something (laughs) which he's been known to do uh, under the influence and tweet and i'm thinking that might that might be what led
1: to this kind of chaotic transition from twitter to x the uh the limited series um presumably being written right now he's getting some juicy, juicy episodes, let's put it that way. On the Twitter the Twitter situation. Because there was a perfect kappa to this, which is that he went to change the logo on the building of the office building. And so, you know, the Twitter office building has a massive Twitter logo uh, with each letter on the side of it. And they'd obviously paid someone to replace it with the next logo. But they hadn't got permission from the council or whatever you call it in in America. Uh, to actually do it so they got rid of four of the letters or whatever so it just spelled out er like oh and the the crane had to be taken down so they just got half a logo stuck up there because they didn't get the rights to do it they didn't get the permit
0: there was also someone who was like said the twitter employees had to they were frantically like cleaning out the office trying to get rid of anything that acknowledged twitter because elon was on such a rampage about twitter being dead so they're like throwing signs out the window into the dumpsters and
1: And yet the actual app icon still is the Twitter logo.
0: I saw yesterday, I think Android is going to change soon, but I guess they haven't said anything about iOS.
1: It's it's very bizarre. I mean, the X transition, it's like literally meaningless until they actually add features that wasn't Twitter, you know, like just changing the logo means absolutely nothing. So I guess we'll wait and see what the next crazy, uh, crazy bender must goes on. And
0: I assume on the Mac, it'll always be Twitter for Mac the dedicated app just because Twitter for Mac hasn't been updated in like 10 years and doesn't support yeah that might anything. just actually die <laughs> yeah that yeah that's true so next mayo there's some bad news about what's happening in the UK when it comes to end to end encryption so what you your government is trying to pass the what is it, online safety bill or something mm-hmm. it's kind of been explained as a way to protect children online. But part of what they want to do is force companies like Apple to build a backdoor into end incre- end-to-end encryption for iMessage and FaceTime. So Apple responded this week and they basically said, if this if this goes into effect, then we're just going to pull iMessage and FaceTime from the UK altogether.
1: Yeah, because the, the bill basically says that these web services that offer end-to-end communications must allow government um, bodies, you know, law enforcement, some way to get into them and check that you aren't exchanging you know, child abuse material or, and et cetera, et cetera. And it also requires um, that changes to Apple's products, like the security features of those services would have to be re- reported to the government and get government approval before they could be rolled out. So, like, let's say there was a security fix Apple wanted to roll out in seventeen point one. Well, they wouldn't be allowed to do that until the government signed off on it. Presumably, so the government could check it still allows them to snoop on whatever they actually want to snoop on, and then they're allowed to carry on with it. Um, and also, right now in the UK, the Home Office has powers to like force a company, force force a tech company to theoretically open like, backdoors into things, but it must go before, like, a reviews process and mm-hmm. then there's an appeal mm-hmm. and it takes up to, like, the highest court or whatnot. Kind of like um, what happened with the San Bernardino case in America, right, with the FBI where oh, they wanted yeah. access to that phone. And, like, you know, Apple obviously um, rebuked that and they, they took it to court and eventually it got, you know, subsided. But that same thing can happen right now in the UK. But the other uh, part of this amendment in this bill is basically saying... Well, you know that thing where we can get these uh, these changes done through and pushed through? Well, basically, we want that to be done before you have an appeal. So, like, right now, you have to have the appeal and have the appeal go through before it happens. They want it switched around so, like, immediately the government can do what they want and then Apple could appeal it and get it removed later on. So, you know, in various ways, this obviously weakens the security profile of the iPhone. Apple isn't happy about it. They submitted a nine-page um, rebuttal of of complaints. And threatened to basically say we're not going to bother with our message in FaceTime in the UK if this goes ahead as written. I think realistically, it's not going to go ahead as written. Like Mm. obviously, there's a huge political meandering going on here, and like you know, they want to be shown as you know, government politics want to be shown as we're standing up to these big tech companies. We're getting what we want. We're protecting children. You know, the same, the usual pretenses and stuff. Um, And it will probably get revised. Like the wording will get tamed down a bit to make you know, ultimately Apple and WhatsApp and everybody else happy and it will go through, you know, in reduced terms. Uh, if it did go through, though, as written, it would be pretty monumental because, like, the UK is got to be, what, one of Apple's top five markets in terms of unit sales, right? You've got US, you've got China, you've got India, and then it depends if you count Europe as a whole region, I guess, or so you want yeah. go by country, but, like, the UK is a big market. It sells millions, you know, millions and millions and millions. It's not some, like, small little industry. Um, and it would be, you know, the biggest, and, and it's not unprecedented for them to not have iMessage and FaceTime in certain countries. The, you know, Saudi Arabia didn't have it for a long time. The UAE, the United Arab Emirates didn't have FaceTime because it was just like outlawed or whatever. Um, and then that eventually got changed around like 2019. FaceTime started appearing on devices on the UAE again. Um, but Apple will do it if they really, really have to, you know, they'll just carry on selling their phones in accordance with the law. Uh, so I guess they'd do that here, um, which would suck because I like Amazon yeah. <laughs> FaceTime. But, you know, the UK is a big market, but it's not big enough for them to cavort to its wishes for a global product, if you see what I mean. So, like, they're not going to weaken the security or have to report all changes to the UK government just so they can roll it out elsewhere. They even say that directly in the rebuttal. They say the company would not make changes in one country that would weaken security for all of its users. Right. Um. Some of this is a consequence of the fact that Apple's CSAM scanning policy was dropped Mm -hmm. on the floor and cancelled, right? It faced backlash and criticism, but at least if it had gone through, they could have gone to the British government and say, look, you know, you want to protect children. Well, look, we already have the system to do it and we've done it so that, you know, we've vetted it so it's secure and private and we're happy with it. Obviously, that got a lot of community pushback from various different groups and never went through. So now they're in a situation where they don't really have an answer to like if, if the UK government comes to them and says, we want access to this end-to-end end encrypted information, they say, well, you can't have it because we don't have a key, so we can't do it. And so that's currently the, the standoff they're having. And the UK's a bit more advanced in this going through the legal system, but there's definitely other countries and other markets around the world that are also having this exact same affair, including Australia, and there's some talk of it happening in the US as well too, eventually.
0: Uh, Whatever happens in the UK, whether Apple pulls out or whether they... However successful the UK government is with this, is what's going to set the precedent for things that will also happen in the US and other places around the world?
1: Yeah, Apple almost has to take the hardest line possible and mm-hmm. be like, "Look, we're just going to leave the country if you do this, or at least you know, re- remove those services from the country." Because if they were like um, amenable to it in some way, then it would just let every other country do the exact same thing and they get steamrolled. Uh, and again, even in China, right? Like the authoritarian state. <laughs> Apple says it does not give China a key to the information. The end-to-end encrypted material for iMessage is stored on servers that are geographically located inside China, but the key to un- to decrypt it is not given to the Chinese government. So, and so that's on, and that's on obviously non-end-to-end encrypted information. End-to-end, it's just like iCloud backups before, right? Like the mm-hmm. iCloud backups are stored on servers inside of China. Um, Using encryption keys that Apple possesses, not the Chinese government. According to Apple, some people dispute that, but that is the official line. And then end-to-end encrypted content can't be unlocked by anybody, like because there is no key, right? And as of right now, the iCloud Advanced Data Protection feature is still available in China. Pretty impressively, right? Like, yeah, you if you know if you're a Chinese citizen, you can have basically fully end-to-end encrypt your entire communication with iCloud across almost every single service. And even in China, you know, the most authoritarian, in, invasive spying state in the, in the in the whole world, right now Apple has been able to say, look, we are offering this feature and you can't do anything about it. Maybe at some point that will change, but that's the status quo right now. So it'd be really, really sad to, for the UK to be in a worse state than China is on, on this basis. I think practically in eight weeks time when the consultation ends, some of these clauses will be taken out and we'll move on with our lives. Or maybe they'll be like, well, you can have the system that... You wanted to do two years ago and Apple would be like forced to reintroduce that just for the UK market or something. You know, there'll be some compromise in somewhere that'll allow Apple to keep its services running. Um but it's still a bit scary that this even got this far. But that's that's politics. Like a lot of political a lot of political stuff like this. is so much gerrymandering. I just kind of like ignore it until it actually happens, if you know what I mean. Not mm-hmm. because it's not important, but like whatever they say at this stage is never what actually happens because it's just it just gets so much pushback from different places um, and so I guess it's good that Apple at least has that moral standard to push back because um, if they were in more die straits maybe they would have to just um, compromise and let and let these companies ha- and let these governments have it but they do they do they do fight back and wielding the threat of no my message in the country is pretty significant
0: I think one of the things that is interesting about this and how it's different than what happened with the San Bernardino shooters iPhone is that that situation never really had like an outcome FBI was just able to go to one of those companies that can unlock locked iPhones and just get it done Mm -hmm. that way so the battle between Apple and the FBI just kind of fizzled out so what we're seeing here I think is going to be more interesting because eventually there's going to be a resolution or Apple is going to have to make good on its word and pull out
1: I think you get the boring outcome where the UK kind of kind of falls back a bit and revises the wording to be less less restrictive.
0: And it's not just iMessage either, right? It would also affect WhatsApp and Signal. And I don't think and Telegram,
1: like anything, yeah, like any of those services. It's not just like um, isolating Apple individually. And all of them have have pushed back, like WhatsApp and everybody else has said this is this is ridiculous or whatever because they want to, you know, to to the messaging companies. End-to-end encryption is a massive selling point mm-hmm. as a feature, right? So they don't wanna to have to weaken that to reduce their portfolio of features. They want it to be as it is, because they don't really get any benefit out of, you know, spying on your individual messages. Um but it does pose issues for some governments to do investigative work. Like I don't think I don't think the, the government should have access to it, but I definitely do see their point of view a bit where it's like, you know, what are we gonna do when everything you talk through is end-to-end encrypted, we're never gonna be able to get information on anything. Um, through the phone anymore Uh, so you know that's a long-term that's a long-term worry and some governments are going to try and break through but i I think ultimately they're not going to be successful finally this week happy hour is brought to you by ladder if you're anything like me you have a certain tendency to put things off until the very last minute dentists opticians appointments filing taxes that kind of stuff and You know, it's usually fine, but you shouldn't mess around and wait when it comes to getting life insurance. Get term coverage life insurance through Ladder today. Go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour to see if you're instantly approved. I started needing glasses recently and that moment it kind of hit me like I'm getting older and stuff like life insurance somehow feels immediately more relevant. And life insurance gives you the peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens. Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. That means no doctors, no needles and no paperwork. It's all done online. You just need a phone or laptop to apply. You just fill out Ladder's application form online and their smart algorithms will work in real time and tell you instantly if you're approved. Ladder has no hidden fees and you can cancel any time. Get a full refund if you cancel within the first 30 days. Ladder's policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims, and Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. If you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure but you just want more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator, and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And crucially, as the cost of life insurance goes up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R-L-I-F-E dot com slash happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Ladder for sponsoring the show.
0: All right, iPhone 15, we had a... A little bit of a run of interesting stories this week that started with something from the information. And they said that Apple's plans to make the, the bezels smaller on the iPhone 15 Pro were causing some production issues, particularly for LG. And the idea in this story was that Apple probably wouldn't delay the launch of the iPhone 15 Pro, but rather that the Pro and the Pro Max would be in severe shortages and hard to get in September. So this story came out and kind of set that narrative, but then, what, the next day, Bloomberg published their own story saying that they think the iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max will be more expensive, but that the production issues affecting LG's displays have been resolved and everything is on track for a normal release in September. Which also, um,
1: reliable display analyst Ross Young agreed with, that Mm -hmm. LG did have difficulties originally and they were running behind the samsung production um because the f15 pro displays will be produced by lg and samsung um but that issue has been basically resolved as of a couple of weeks ago and so you know it's only they're only one or two weeks behind where they need to be so by september october it should be in decent order um, the
0: information supply or the information's timeline i guess was just slightly off to make it seem like more of a bigger deal than it actually is but then the idea of having a staggered release or delays i mean it happens quite a bit so i don't think it would have been a huge deal if apple did delay the 15 pro or pro max or if they said like or if they were just backordered quite a bit
1: yeah i mean there's plenty of years where like you have to you have to be there ready at 5 a.m on friday to get a phone for launch day because we've heard they've been supply constrained and then sure enough they go out of stock and then they eventually come back in stock you know like apple's pretty good at this thing and we always talk about that they always have an iPhone every September with almost no exception. The only real exception being the 2020 year because of COVID. So it came out in October, not September. But that statement, if you drill into it slightly, it means you know the one iPhone of the new range comes out in that month. It doesn't mean every single model ships at the same time because mm-hmm. that track record is way more varied. I mean, last year, the iPhone 14 Plus launched in October when the rest of the models launched in September because there were apparently production issues with the iPhone 14 Plus display you go back a few years they have plenty of staggered launches the 13 was fine but with the 12 there was delays that was the covid year with the 11 the um the pros came out a bit later the 10r was offset compared to the 10s like this happens on a fairly frequent basis right. where not every single model ships on exactly the same day in September um so Apple deals with this and even if they do have ship dates for all in September and it's it's supply constrained. You know, when they have their earnings call, they'll say, well, "We couldn't make as many as yeah. we would have sold more if we could make more." And then all the investors go, "Oh, all right, then we'll just look at the next quarter's numbers, right?" So, you know, Apple's done this a lot; they get used to it. Remember and
0: last year, the 14 Pro, they couldn't like it was out of stock at basically end of November through all of December because of the COVID mm-hmm. shutdowns in China.
1: Yep, yeah, and they weathered yeah, that storm. launched on time. but yeah. the, the supply constraints, right? Um, Apple Apple's a big company; they can they can sort it out and they can work through it and um so yeah what the information story reported uh maybe even if it was completely true as in like because the, the bloomberg and the 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 Young the kind of take the point that whap well, you're not even going to tell the difference right they're just going to re- announce them as normal mm-hmm. the information story is more like they'll just be really supply constrained that has happened before it's not a huge deal right both like, of
0: those things it, can be true
1: yeah yeah exactly um and, you know, you can be supply constrained for two weeks and then you can be back on track, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it doesn't necessarily cause a huge, huge problem. It, and based on this early reporting, it seems like it will be less of an issue compared to last year with the 14 Pro, where Apple actually released that invest, that statement yeah. to investors, remember, saying, like, you know, our production is going to be severely impacted for this quarter because of the China factory issue. Um, this time around, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that bad. And the pros might be in slightly less supply than the non pro models, but it'll be it'll be acceptable for people when you if you hadn't heard that story, you might not notice at all.
0: And I think if you zoom out and look at the overall rumored features for the 15 Pro in particular, there's a lot of th- things changing that could lead to delays, which cause you have the new titanium frame, so this is the first time Apple's used titanium on an iPhone. You have the three nanometer A seventeen chip. That's Apple and TSMC's first 3-nanometer chip. Then you have the action button on the side instead of the mute switch. And the periscope zoom lens for the Macs, Apple's first periscope lens on an iPhone. Like, those are all pretty big changes to, like, the production process. But so far, the only thing we've heard is that the the displays caused some problems.
1: Yeah, and I guess the the kind of feature recap ties into the price rumor, right? So, like... Mm -hmm. Bloomberg reported that Apple is considering to raise the base price for the 15 Pro and the 15 Pro Max. The iPhone 15 and 15 Plus would be at the same price as they are right now, Um, but the 15 Pro currently starts at $9.99. The idea would be that that would be a bit more expensive this year um, as Apple sees resilient demand basically in the smartphone market and they think they can charge more given the additional features because all those things you just said are exclusive to the pro line right the base model phones are getting the dynamic island right um rather than the notch design and they'll be getting the A16 chip instead of the A17 chip uh, and they'll be getting some camera upgrades but the big camera upgrade is the periscope zoom lens which will be max exclusive this year
0: and there is a, a i think it was a Bank of America analyst this morning who said the 15 pro will be a hundred dollar increase while the pro max could be two hundred dollars which like you just said that that lines up with the max getting the periscope lens and the the normal pro not getting it because this is the first year in a while that there's been kind of that separation between the pro and the pro max in terms of features that 200
1: dollars more that is a lot like (laughs) it's a significant price increase
0: it depends, I guess, too, on where exactly those price increases are applied. Because the iPhone's already been getting a lot more expensive in other countries that aren't the United States. But the uh, prices in the United States have stayed, stayed the same for so long. The the U.S. iPhone prices are due for an upgrade.
1: Well, a lot of the international pricing was because of, like, poor currency exchange, right? So, like, British British Apple products are way more expensive than they used to be, but that's because the currency got, the currency conversion right got way yeah. worse. Uh, I don't know, like... Obviously, I don't like the idea of having to pay more for (laughs) for the iPhone, but Apple wouldn't do it if they didn't think people were going to buy it at those prices, right? They clearly see strong demand for the Pro models. The Pro and Pro Max take up a bigger percentage of overall iPhone sales every single generation. And in a quarterly earnings call in February, um, Tim Cook basically said that customers are willing to splash out to get the best iPhone they can. Uh, Quote, I think people are willing to really stretch to get the best they can afford in that category. Uh, and so that was perhaps an early indicator that the iPhone price was going to increase even more. And we keep hearing these things about like the idea of like the iPhone Ultra kind of concept, right? Yeah, it's not out of the question. They could call the Max an Ultra this year. Yeah, right. Like it's just a brand name. Then they could suddenly justify the price increase even more by just being like, "Well, it's an Ultra now, and it has a exclusive camera features. Here you go, uh, pay more for it." I think a hundred dollars is palatable to a lot of people. The two hundred dollar increase for the max floated by that Barclays analyst feels a little too extreme to my ears uh but Apple's the one with all the data right I wouldn't take the Barclays numbers though as particularly concrete because at this point everybody's just kind of guessing the only people that really know are the executive team inside Apple Park so um but a price increase look inflation's a real thing right everything goes up in price over time um and the iPhone top-end price has stayed relatively constant for a while so yeah, you know, they probably are about due to increase the prices a bit. Whether that's fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, or two hundred dollars, where like the differences come in, right, in terms of what you feel in your pocket. And um, obviously, Apple likes pushing all these two-year, you know, pay over time, monthly installment yeah, plan that's things, the which thing. to, yeah, which have to ease off the the overall price a bit and spread it out over a longer time. I would, if you wanted me to bet, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Based on what Cook said earlier this year, based on the fact that the demand seems to be holding up. Uh, they probably are going to increase the price a bit. I probably wouldn't expect them to go $200 more on the max. Like I think $100 on both Pro models would probably be about right. Uh, but we'll see what happens in September.
0: Yeah, and Apple pushes all the financing stuff, but also too, especially here in the US, the carriers do so many crazy promotions where you can mm-hmm. trade in an iPhone that's three years old and they'll give you a new one for free and give you this, that, and the other thing. Like, the number of people paying full price in cash for an iPhone now are so small that when a customer goes to T-Mobile or AT&T or whatever and wants to buy the newest iPhone, they probably won't even realize that it's, oh, it's $100 more expensive than last year. T-Mobile will just give them an extra $100 for their old phone. In a certain way, Apple would be stupid not just to push the limit on this a little bit, like Tim Cook said. Yeah, I mean,
1: that, that's business, right? Like, yeah. Business optimization means you charge what people are paying for, and... Apple clearly sees signs that people will pay a bit more. So
0: That's your economics degree coming through.
1: That's yeah, look at that incredible <laughs> ingenuity <engineering> right
0: there. <laughs> uh, then, Longer into the future on the iPhone, there was a supply chain report this week that said Apple is pushing on LG and Samsung to develop new OLED screen technology that removes basically all of the front bezels on the iPhone. So the ex- expectation is that the bezels will get quite a bit smaller this year with the 15 Pro. But I but mean you'll still see a black border, Yeah. Right? And I mean yeah. obviously this is kind of like obvious to me that obviously Apple's goal is to remove the black border altogether. But I guess this supply chain reports kind of suggesting that Apple's ramping up the pressure on LG and Samsung and maybe kind of pitting themselves against each other, like whichever one of you can do it first you'll get the big order.
1: Yeah, and so this is for a a 3 or 4 years out kind of time frame right, is what the yeah. or suggested. Um, which takes you to what iPhone 17, iPhone 18, that kind of time frame, which is which if you think about it, assuming if you count the iPhone 15 as a design change because we are going to titanium, you know, the edges are getting a bit more rounder than last year. So that probably does count as a chassis change. You know, mm-hmm. Apple generally locks in the same chassis for a few years in a row, so iPhone 17, iPhone 18 is about the time when you're due for a chassis change again. So that kind of lines up, right? Um, it feels about right in terms of the time frame, um, and, and that lines course- up too
0: with what we've heard from like Ross Young and Ming-Chi Kuo about Apple's timelines for things like under display, Face ID, mm-hmm. the in-screen, front-facing camera and all of that. So it, the idea of a completely bezel-less iPhone now seems kind of kind of optimistic, but like you said, three, four years down the line, like a lot can change.
1: And if you look at the competitive market, a lot of like Samsung's top-end phones, they make the bezel look minimal by curving the screen. So like the actual bezels on the side rather than facing forward. So you get a pretty good effect when you're looking at the phone face on. Um, and Apple obviously hasn't gone that direction. They haven't done the curved edges kind of thing. So they really need the bezels to be minimized if they want to make the front on look look modern in you know in the three to four year time frame. There, there, When you said about people saying, well, why wouldn't they want to increase the bezel, yeah. shrink the bezel more and more? There is one argument that I've seen people say, which is that you need some bezels so that your fingers can wrap around the sides and not touch the screen. Oh, uh, yeah. But I feel like that's, a, that's thinking too naively about it. Like, you can go edge to edge and just make it an aesthetic thing rather than a function thing. So, like, right now, obviously, the top and the bottom of the phone have the... Um, they have the notch, the dynamic island, the home indicator at the bottom, and basically apps don't put any actual content in those ears at the, at the corners, right? Because they're rounded off, they're masked, like you can't really put text there that is readable because it's all cut off and obscured. So that ear, those areas are called safe areas, right? So like mm-hmm. the content lives inside the safe area. But it still looks like a you know the impact is a edge-to-edge screen because there's still the, all the pixels lit up, and you see the kind of the overflow content in those areas. Well, if you go fully bezelless, right? Let's say on the current iPhone design, you could just make the edges also have safe areas, so like they don't respond to touch input. They just fill with color or that you know your photos go edge to edge or you know the text like the text stays within the boundary but the edges go white so it like follows the page content right so you, you can make the bezels go away and not have ergonomics issues just by making the safe areas larger on on the edges so you don't have like the accidental touch problem
0: and there's some of that apple can do in software too to kind of detect that accidental input i mean they do it to a lesser degree on like the trackpad on the mac Mm-hmm. and on the ipad with apple pencil like they have the accidental input detection software side of things so combined with the safe area i don't really think that'd be too big of a concern
1: no i i think you're exactly right on that like the aesthetic benefit even if there's no functional use for that extra space apart from like the background color bleeds into the edge it just looks way prettier so they should do it and if they can eke out some additional functionality in terms of content in those in those edges when they do the user testing based on you know touch input and stuff then they will um but even if it's com- even if they're all the bezel that you see right now on the iphone is completely useless other than like extending the background effect to the edges they should do it anyway when the price you know when it becomes reasonable to achieve and technology possible they should do it because it looks it looks cooler
0: it's interesting this report says that they've been reluctant to do the samsung thing with the slightly curved edges Because that's kind of what they've done on the Apple Watch to a degree. The display kind of wraps around a little bit. And I mean, that was the big change to what was the year they went from like 40 to 41 millimeter? Was that the Series 6, Series 7, whatever?
1: Series 7, yeah.
0: But that was a much more noticeable change than I think people expected.
1: It has an aesthetic, right? Maybe Apple just wants to stay away from the Android aesthetic of curving over the sides. Yeah. they Mm -hmm. They just like the kind of flat sandwich appearance
0: which is kind of what we have on the apple watch ultra now yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) they flip flop right like some years they go curvy some years they go flat and time we're expecting with the iphone 15 is kind of like a midway point between the current flat edges and the older curved edges with this titanium which is be more rounder but not totally curved
0: all right i think that does it for this week you can find us on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a rating and a review. And there you'll also find a, a subscriber version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year, which unlocks ad-free versions of every episode. You can send us feedback, hour at 9to5mac.com, or you can find me and Mayo on social media. I am on Threads, Mastodon, and X
1: <laughs> at chance H Miller and Mayo, where are you? At BZA Mayo, in basically all those same places.
0: All right, thanks, Mayo.
1: See you next week.
0: No bye bye. Nice. No bye bye. I like the bye bye. Bye
1: bye. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I normally I do bye bye. Don't
0: I? You panicked. <laughs>